Welcome to the November 2022 edition of The Compliance Life. This month in November, I visit with Stephen Martin. Stephen is the CCO at Skillsoft. Stephen has worked in a variety of areas in the compliance field, in law firms, the DOJ, and consulting. I know you'll enjoy the month of November on The Compliance Life. In episode three of this month on The Compliance Life, Stephen Martin moves into the world of compliance consulting, first at a law firm, then a consulting firm. The Compliance Life details the journey to and in the role of a chief compliance officer. How does one come to sit in the CCO chair? What are some of the skills a CCO needs to successfully navigate the compliance waters in any company? What are some of the top challenges CCOs have faced and how did they meet them? These questions and many others will be explored in this new podcast series. The Compliance Life is hosted by Tom Fox and each month he'll present the story of one CCO through four episodes. The Compliance Life is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. We're going to have a quick word from our sponsor, then we'll be right back with Bridget Abram. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox back for our November The Compliance Life with our special featured guest, Stephen Martin. First of all, Stephen, welcome back. Thanks, Tom. Always great to be here. Stephen, after your three troubled companies career, you moved into the consulting world. So I wanted to maybe explore that a little bit with you and see what either was different in your practice of law slash compliance or any real different lessons you learned. Where do you want to start with your consulting career? Oh, it's interesting. We just spent a little time talking about being in-house at WorldCom Quest in Adelphia. And after that experience, I had seen a need in the marketplace for really what we now call compliance consulting. And it didn't, it was not, there was not a great market out there at the time for either individuals who had their own shops as kind of chief compliance officers slash now turned into consultants or the law firms, right? A lot of law firms were still federal prosecutors, more focused on individual investigations or big corporate investigations. Nobody was really doing practical compliance. It was about that time you and I really started interacting quite a bit with each other and like seeing what that gap was in the marketplace. And at the time I had transitioned to helping run after Adelphia, helping run a compliance training and consulting business and had learned during that area that there was really a need for sophisticated compliance solutions, but much more from a kind of a major platform. And so I had approached Paul McNulty when he was chair of the government investigations practice at Baker and McKinsey. And Baker McKinsey is a major global law firm with offices literally all over the world. And I had gotten to know Paul along the way and I said, Paul, and I said, look, I think there's a really interesting opportunity in the marketplace to be able to create a proactive compliance consulting practice as part of a major law firm. So I put together, and this is, this is great for lawyers that are trying to think outside the box. I put together a proposal and pitch and broke it down for Baker about what could you do for your clients from a proactive compliance side that would help boost client retention. It would help, help you be a trusted advisor to major corporations. You could be there for the government investigations that might come up. 
And so it was really both a practical solution for clients and a driver from a biz dev standpoint for the law firm. And met with a number of the senior folks at Baker McKinsey, and we decided to put together a compliance consulting LLC. So it was the first, this is now other firms are doing it. I just saw Denton's did it the other day. I've seen people do it in other ways for jury consultant types of things, but creating an independent LLC that was wholly owned by the law firm that could have non-legal services from a consulting standpoint, right? And so the idea was really, you could have folks like you and I that were former compliance officers or general counsel, you could have risk people, you could have data people, you could do lots of interesting things. And looking back, it was, we were ahead of the curve, right? And it's hard to get law firms to think outside the box, but Baker really did. And we didn't quite build it as, as well as we should have, but we were getting such client uptake that we were extremely busy. And it was a great experience because it gave me really my first work at a major international law firm because I didn't do that going through the law school route. I'd worked at like the U.S. Attorney's Office. I'd done other things in the summers. And so I was getting to build a new consulting entity inside a major law firm and doing really sophisticated work all over the world. And that I was doing all kinds of really crazy FCPA compliance type projects. I think I worked something like 40 different countries around the world, now more than 40. And so it was an amazing experience. And it was really cool to try and build a new initiative inside a firm and doing something globally. And so that was the first experience. And I spent, I think, five years at Baker McKinsey, and it was awesome. I think clients really liked the approach. I think we could have done a better job even building it out at Baker at the end of the day, because now you're seeing more and more firms try to tackle the, the same time thing. So it was a little ahead of the curve, but it was also great to be able to provide practical advice on how do you do this from folks that had been in the trenches, just like compliance officers in general. I remember that part of your career on the travel side. <laughs> and yeah. as I recall, you were on the road almost all the time. And I say on the road, I don't mean from Houston to Dallas to San Antonio, back to DC, Tokyo, Singapore, Dubai, London, Paris, et cetera. How were you able to get through all of that? And did that really, I don't want to say forced work schedule, because you're kind of like that anyway, but how did being exposed to different cultures, different peoples, different companies really help you expand your ability as a compliance officer? Um, look, it, from a professional standpoint, it was an incredible experience, right? And we'll talk about that from a per, per personal standpoint it was incredibly hard on my health and not great for my family. And that's why I ended up moving away from Baker McKinsey because it was just, it was and not just the firm, but it was just, I needed to change how I was doing things because it was literally too intense. And I think it's a good learning point for lawyers or compliance officers or people that are out there is that like, and I'm, I'd say I'm, very good at this for the most part, because I prioritize my family and kids, but you have to have a balance in your life. And at the end there, when you were just talking about it, I think the last year I traveled something like 45 weeks out of the year. And I, I think I spent something like $150,000 in travel, like in the miles, I was flying more than pilots in major airlines. Like it was crazy at the end. And it really wasn't good for my health. But professionally, it was incredible. You don't, when you're on the ground, and I could tell you stories, when you're on the ground in Russia and you're on the ground in Brazil and you're on the ground in Malaysia, you know, it, you learn a lot of different things, right? I was sitting there doing an interview. We all talk about these risk assessment interviews. And the CFO of one of these companies said, yes, I'm scared for my life. 
right? And I'm like, what do you mean? And they're like, they don't like me here because I'm, I can't remember where we were, but I think they don't like me because I'm not Thai as an example. I'm from Indonesia instead of Thailand, but I'm working in Thailand and they could have me killed for, and I don't remember what the denomination was, but it was basically like $50. And then she explained how you die there. And she's, they will just come up on a moped with two people and they'll shoot you in the head and then you're dead. And I was like, oh yeah, I think I'll have to tell the general counsel that you're like fearful for your life because she had reported something. And it's just different than what we think sometimes in the United States about what a whistleblower is or reporting. And until you're experiencing these things, you don't really know. One of the worst trips I ever had was I went for a partners meeting, I think in Singapore for Baker McKenzie ended up flying to the oil fields outside of Tampico, Mexico. I got some kind of serious stomach bug, like literally was having like internal bleeding and then had to fly to London. And my wife's, you have to come home. And I'm like, I, I gotta go to London, then I'll be home, I'll see the doc. I got to London and I was so disoriented. It's the only time in my life where I literally didn't know where I was. And I was, and I was like, I needed to be at a, like going to a doctor or a hospital. And that kind of stuff is just crazy. Like you can't let your career overtake things like your family and your health at the end of the day. Again, it was to see cultures, to see how people operate, to see what the issues are on the ground, to see what a mine is really like in Africa, to see what it's like in the oil fields in Mexico and to understand what people are facing and why they may bribe an official or why they may get, you know, there may be shakedowns or why they're not complying with something. Until you're doing that, you don't really understand. And I had the same, I did the same thing when I was a federal prosecutor. I I used to go out with my officers into 7D in Washington, D.C., which is one of the worst places in the country. I saw a guy get shot in the head. I've seen people that somebody who had shot a police officer and the response there. And I, you just, until you actually live it, you can't really appreciate it. And it's one of the biggest learning points I have for compliance officers out there is you need to understand your business and you need to be on the ground with the business. You can't do, you can't be a good practical compliance officer sitting in your house or sitting in your office and never really experiencing what's happening on the ground in your company. You'll be way more effective if you do that. Stephen, there's two things I've observed about you since I've known you that really been hallmarks of your professional career. And I wanted to use this episode to maybe highlight them. The first one is you've taught at the University of Denver. And so I'd like you to maybe give a few thoughts on what you get out of. Yeah, it's great. So I taught, so I've taught at two different places, right? I taught at the, at Georgetown tra trial advocacy and ran their program there for a while. So that was teaching law students and the trial part, which I really enjoyed. And then I taught at the University of Denver in in the business department. I taught business ethics, leadership and sustainability, which is an amazing dynamic program. I think the part that I love the most was just, it's really the interaction with the students. And I think they love having professors, and I did too when I was sitting there, that gave practical real world advice, right? As opposed to ivory tower advice. I had other great professors there, but people had always been in academia and they're teaching from the books or they're teaching from case studies. Whereas like I'm explaining what happened to WorldCom when somebody calls me up and says, you have to, you have to talk uh, to, you can't talk to the general counsel because the CEO said you couldn't do it. And so you're having that conversation. So I tried to bring enthusiasm and practical experience to the classes. But then what I got back from the students is just really like the sheer excitement for learning material. And you don't get that from all students, but the students who really cared, those are the ones that energize me, right? Because those are the ones that are going to go out and make some difference in their community, however they define their community. They're the ones that, that really want to understand and learn the material and see what they're going to do in their career. And to me, that was most energetic for me as a professor. 
is to be able to interact with students like that. I will tell you as a professor, you also get depressed sometimes because I, you'll appreciate this, Tom. I was in class and these are MBA students, right? And I was in class one night and I made a reference. Oh no, I'm sorry. This is an undergrad class I was teaching. So they were even a little bit younger. And, and there was probably a clear generation gap, but I made a reference to LA law, right? And not one person knew what LA law was in the audience. And then somebody raised their hand. They said, oh, I think my parents have mentioned that. I might've seen that on Nick at Night. Isn't that old show with those lawyers? And I was like, you are literally killing me right now. And so you do appreciate the generation gap, which helps keep you young probably as a lawyer or professor. And so that, that wasn't bad either. And then the other area, Stephen, in fact, it's how I met you was through public speaking. Mm -hmm. And we've spoken together. I've watched you speak. You've watched me speak. I've watched you speak with others. Paul McNulty, for example, I know you're on multiple panels and continue speaking. Could you say a few words about, I don't think we called it creating a personal brand in 2010, but that's what you were doing. And you've continued to build that out. Could you say a few words to the younger compliance professional who might be listening about why they should publish papers, why they should speak, and the benefits of getting your name out there and really creating that personal brand? Yeah, look, it's a great question. You create your personal brand all the time, right? You've built your network into not only the number one compliance podcast, but one of the top podcasts in the country. You've won awards. You can see them sitting back there on your screen, which is awesome, because you've dedicated yourself to creating a brand. And that is not easy to do, and most people don't do it, right? Because it's that extra effort or that extra work. And when we talk about creating a brand, it's not being cocky. It's not like it's just purely self-promotion. It's about how are you going to be successful in your professional career? And part of those, a lot of those speaking roles have not only gotten me clients, but they've also gotten me jobs. The job I have now at Skillsoft is SVP of legal compliance. And I've run the compliance program in part was because I had been speaking at Skillsoft's conferences and their, their major client perspectives and other ones. In fact, when I was supposed to interview with the general counsel or the chief legal officer for Skillsoft, and then she was unable to attend, but I was speaking at their major conference and met a couple of the other lawyers and ended up getting the job that I now have in major part because I was speaking at their event. And this was earlier this spring. Um, and so you never know what's going to happen when you take those opportunities. So when I look at it, A, I learn every time I go out and speak to audiences. B, I hope to impart things that they think are good advice and practical. So I try to prepare for those. C, like you said, it helps build your personal brand. And you and I have spent a lot of time talking about compliance and the elements of an effective compliance program. And over the years, you've seen me talk about that. And I've continued to or worked on that originally with Paul McNulty and continued to expand it since then. But that kind of framework and approach really helped me be successful in the compliance world, but it also helped me be successful with my clients and being able to show them something about how do I talk about this? I will say I went to an event in Chicago and I was speaking for one of the people you and I both know, but it was, they, so they invited me to Chicago. I fly there. This one is at Baker and McKenzie. So I've been tired all on the road, get to Chicago and it's a bad event in a dingy hotel, in a bad conference room. And I'm like, oh, what am I doing here? 12 people show up and I'm like, I cannot believe I just was spending my time. But I go through my thing and I talk practically and I show the framework and all this. And I'm headed to the airport and getting on a plane a few hours later and the general counsel of a major public company called me and he said, I just saw you speak, we need your help. And they had a major FCPA investigation going on. So can we talk about this? I was literally boarding the plane. 
that turned into a million, million dollar plus engagement for the firm. And so you just never know. And you get to meet people. The other thing I'd say is you and I've become very good friends, right? And we spent a lot of time together because we started out on the speaking circuit together. We, that's how we ran into each other. And to me, it's one of the great things to develop such a close friendship with based on going out and speaking. But take advantage of those opportunities that you have. It helps you build your brand. It helps you make friends. It helps you get clients. Like it, it really does. It does things to help change your life. Stephen, unfortunately, we are near the end of our time for this episode, but I hope our listeners will join us for episode four, where we take a look at you moving to the CCO chair and really reflect back on the lessons you've learned in each one of the different roles you've had and how you're bringing them to bear now. I look forward to continuing this conversation. Great. I look forward to it as well, Tom. Thank you very much. All right. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. Thank you again for listening to this episode of The Compliance Life. I hope you'll join me again next week where I take up another episode in The Compliance Life. The Compliance Life is a production of The Compliance Podcast Network. If you would like to be featured on The Compliance Life, please uh, give me an email at uh, tfox at tfoxlaw.com. Also, if you like this series, please give us a rating on iTunes. Uh, any review and rating would definitely help get the word out about the latest addition to the Compliance Podcast Network. Thanks again. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.